I don't think it's an exaggeration to call our generation the selfie generation. Uh, The word selfie was not even a word until just a very few years ago. Now, most everybody knows what a selfie is. We all take selfies. If you've ever taken a selfie, would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand. Be honest. Yeah, look at all these hands. I found out this week that every day in America, 93, or every year in America, 93 million selfies are taken. Uh, That might seem like a lot unless you have teenagers and doesn't seem like that much maybe but but selfies it's something that we all all do we are the selfie generation and yet if you think about it this idea of focusing on the self taking a picture of herself posting that on social media it's really not all that new as we read in scripture when paul was talking about what life would be like during the as he described them last days, he said one of the things that would mark that generation is that we would be lovers of ourselves. And this is not healthy love. This is an unhealthy preoccupation with the self. And as we look at our world, we could say certainly that describes our culture. This week I read about a cute little fish called the puffer fish or the blowfish. This little fish it inflates into a ball shape to evade predators and their elastic stomachs fill with water or with air and this this fish blows up several times its normal size but these fish aren't just cute i found out they also have this toxic substance that makes them very foul tasting and in addition to that they're deadly this this toxin is deadly to humans it's 1,200 times more toxic than cyanide. There's enough toxin in one blowfish or pufferfish to kill 30 adult humans. Isn't that that amazing? And there's no known antidote uh, to this uh, toxin, to their toxin. And this made me think a little bit about us. You see, like like pufferfish, we're prone to blow ourselves up with pride and with arrogance we have this desire to look larger than maybe we really are and like like pufferfish this this pride this overinflated sense of self is spiritually toxic pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick except the one who has it but the truth is the person who's prideful is really spiritually sick as well And and pride is so destructive. It's destructive to a a marriage. It's destructive in relationships. It's destructive to a church. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Bible has so much to say about pride. If you you did the reading this morning in the chapter we're looking at uh, in our Believe series, you'll notice that there's a lot of passages in there that contrast pride with humility and a lot of these are found in the book of of proverbs so for instance in proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34 it says he mocks proud mockers but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed in proverbs 11 and verse 2 when pride comes then comes disgrace but with humility comes wisdom in proverbs 18 and verse 12 before a downfall the heart is haughty but Humility comes before honor. 
Proverbs 22 and verse 4, which says, Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. And then the one that I think is especially powerful, it's found in your New Testaments. It's, it's in the book of James. The Lord's brother says in James chapter 4 and verse 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. And so think about those verses that we just read. When we read about humility, we link certain ideas like life and wisdom and joy with that. But when we think of pride, we read about God's opposition. We read about disgrace and downfall. I mean, when I think about James chapter 4 and verse 6, this whole idea of, of God stands in opposition to the proud. I don't know about you, but I don't want God to be opposed to me. While God stands opposed to the proud, he, he gives more grace and more favor to the humble. Now, we know certainly there is a good kind of pride, right? I mean, we, we teach our kids to take pride in themselves. We need to have this sense that God loves us, that, that God is on our side. We, we need all of that, and that, that engenders this sense that, that I'm, I'm favored and loved. That's all good, but there's this bad sense of pride. Ken Blanchard wrote a book several years ago called Lead Like Jesus, and he says we have an ego problem. And we say that a lot. We'll say, wow, he, he has a big ego. Or we'll say, she has an inflated sense of ego. And ego, according to Ken Blanchard, E-G-O, stands for edging God out. And that, in fact, is what we do when we have pride. We, we edge God out. There's no place for God. In fact, when we're filled up with ourselves, we, we take the place of God. But the flip side of pride is humility. And so, so we may wonder, what is humility? I ran across this definition that I really like. Someone says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I mean, that really is a good definition, isn't it? It's not this aw shucks mentality. It's not this false humility it's not, it's not thinking left, less of yourself. It's not putting yourself down. Oh, no, it's just, it's just thinking of yourself less. It's, it's a healthy sense of self-forgetfulness. Our scripture reading this morning painted a, a wonderful picture of the most selfless person who ever walked the planet. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, we have this incredible picture of, of Jesus. And, and so this, um, this picture, and I've been praying all week, how can I, how can I communicate this? Because we, we've read maybe this, this um, a paragraph before, but it's so rich and so amazing. And so I want to put Philippians chapter 2 in just a little bit broader context for you as, as we look at the most selfless person who ever walked the face of the planet, Jesus. Now, you know, the book of Philippians though the word joy is used all through the book, it wasn't a church that was experiencing a lot of joy. They weren't experiencing a lot of joy because they were in the midst of a church squabble, a church struggle. And so one Sunday morning, a couple of ladies show up at church, and lo and behold, their names are called by the preacher. Now, I don't know about you, I don't think that's probably a very good thing. In, in my years of preaching, people don't generally like it when their names are called by the preacher in the sermon in a somewhat derogatory way. So, so here is, you know, this, these two women, Euodia and Syntyche, they show up at church. And what does Paul say? 
He writes in Philippians chapter 4 in verse 2, I plead with Euodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind. Why is Paul pleading with them to be of the same mind? Well, he's pleading with them, David. See, I called your name. How's that go? He's pleading with them because they weren't of the same mind. He's pleading with them because they they were having a conflict. We don't know the exact nature of the conflict. We don't know what had transpired between Euodia and Syntyche. We don't know how serious it was. But Euodia and Syntyche couldn't get along, and so sides were taken. And that division was starting to spill over into the church. And brothers and sisters, a divided church has nothing to say to a divided world. But on the other hand, a united church has a powerful witness to a very divided world paul knew a lot was at stake and so paul is writing he's pleading with this church he's pleading with euodia and syntyche and so what does he do in order to help them get along well right in the heart of this book very strategically placed he says i want to tell you about someone who had this marvelous spirit of humility And so Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 2, Make my joy complete, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. He says in verse 3, Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but here's our word, but instead in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Well, that's a tall order, Paul. I mean, looking to... Others' interests, we we want our way. Valuing others above ourselves, I want to be valued. Who can we do this? How can we do this? And that's where Paul says, I want to talk to you about Jesus. You see, we're the selfie generation. How do we move from the selfie generation to the selfless generation? And Paul says, really, the only way we can do that is if we keep our eyes trained and focused on Jesus. And so, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, kind of the verse that sets up this beautiful paragraph that pictures this selfless spirit, Paul says in verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. And so this morning, whatever we learn... From, from Jesus. We need to have that mindset, and that mindset needs to apply in whatever relationships we find ourselves. That, that mindset should apply it, we should apply this to our marriages. We should apply this as we parent our kids. We should apply this in our congregational life. We should apply this with our friends. And so let's take just a moment or two this morning for the next just, I don't know, five, ten minutes. Let's walk through this passage because I think it can teach us so much about developing a new mindset. Oh, so often we're discipled by the world. We take on the world's values and the world's mindset, but let's, let's let Paul inform us right here as we develop the mindset, the sweet mindset of Jesus. And so in Philippians 2, beginning in, in verse 6, notice Paul begins by saying, who, as he's speaking of Jesus here now, and he's quoting this ancient hymn, who being in very nature God, 
who is God? Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is in very nature God. Jesus is not a, a junior varsity God. He's not part God. No, Jesus is God come in the flesh. And so how do we expect God to act or God to behave? I mean, God has certain divine prerogatives and, and privileges and, and powers. God is all-powerful. When God says jump, I think we probably should jump. But what about Jesus? What does Jesus do? What was Jesus' mindset? Well, he doesn't do what we might expect. Paul says, here's what Jesus did. He says, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to be used to his own advantage or, or something to be held on to. Rather, and listen to this next statement, rather he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. What did Jesus do? He, he emptied himself. He sacrificed. I think that's the first mindset. He didn't sacrifice any of his godness, but he did sacrifice some of his divine prerogatives and privileges. Think for a moment about all that Jesus had in heaven. In heaven he had intimacy and, and wonderful relationships with God the Father and God the Spirit. For an eternity they dwelt in unity and harmony and intimacy. And yet Jesus stepped away from that and he was clothed in humanity and was born in a, to a peasant family in an out-of-the-way place like Bethlehem. There wasn't even room for him in the inn when he was born. He was born and placed in a, in a feeding trough. Think about all that Jesus sacrificed. He, he was God, come in the flesh. And he took on our, our limitations of time and space. He sacrificed for us. And so if we say, well, we want to be like Jesus, and that's what we say when we come in here to do church, uh, that's what we're striving to do, right? We're, we're striving to walk in the steps of Jesus. We're striving to become more like Him. He is God, but He's man. He's the perfect man. And so if we say we want to be like Him, well, how much, how much are we willing to sacrifice, honestly? How much are we willing to sacrifice our comfort, our time, our resources, our preferences, so that we might one day reach others who can be with, with us in, in heaven? Friends, humility requires a mindset of of sacrifice. As we look at this passage, there are a series of steps, and these steps aren't up. We like to talk about upward mobility. Most of us, when we move to the next job, we want to move to a job that has more, you know, more status. We want to move to the next job that has a bigger salary. We want the office, larger office. We want the office by the, you know, window. We, well, that's, that's how we do life, but not, not, not Jesus. Oh, no. He, he comes to this world. He takes a step down. He says he gave up he sacrificed. But here's the second mindset. It says that Jesus made himself nothing, and then it goes on to say, taking on the very nature of a servant. Jesus was a servant. That's, that's who he was, the essence of, of who Jesus was. We read that passage in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that says that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. One time a member of a certain congregation came up to a preacher and he said, 
you preachers are all the time talking about doing unto others. He said, but doesn't it really all boil down to basin theology? And the preacher said, preacher said what do you mean basin theology? He said, yeah. He said, he said remember when, what Pilate did? He said, Pilate had the opportunity to acquit Jesus, but he didn't do it. And then he called for a basin, and he washed his hands of the whole thing and just walked away. And yet here's Jesus the last week of his life, He's in the upper room with the disciples. They're jockeying for position. What does Jesus do? He calls for a basin. He takes off the outer robe, puts on a servant's, grabs a servant's towel. And he gets on his knees and he walks to all the disciples and he begins to wash their feet in that basin. Here's the question for us. Who are we more like? When faced with life, with messy situations with hurt and betrayal and difficulty will we like Pilate kind of wash our hands of it all and just walk away from it or will we as God's people roll up our our sleeves and and get on our hands and knees and just get dirty wash a few feet there are times in my life when I realize I need to be doing more serving I do a lot of talking you know that because I'm a preacher There are times when I just need to do more serving. Sometimes when my attitude isn't quite what it needs to be, you know, sometimes when I get negative, and I can get negative, believe you me. In those moments in my life, I realize it, and I just just need to do some serving. It changes my whole perspective. It helps me to understand what God is really calling me to be. It's one of the things I love about this church. I know the heart of College Hills, the heart of this church, is we're a serving church. That's why you walk into the foyer and you see a bunch of presents. That's why you walk in, you know, into the breezeway out here and you see a, a bunch of sacks of groceries. That's, that's why we talk a lot about how can we partner with Habitat or partner with Compassionate Hands or partner with whatever. We, we want to serve. And all of that looks like Jesus and that, that has the spirit of humility. Oh, we could, we could serve in arrogance and pride. We can look down on people and say, well, I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm just going to, here, here's something I'm going to get. We could do that. It could be co-opted. But I don't think that's our heart. I think our heart is we want to serve others. And that's the mindset of Jesus. But there's another mindset. And friends, understand right here, I could possibly go from preaching to meddling. Because this is a very counter-cultural mindset. It's the mindset of submission. Paul, as he continues to paint this picture out of Philippians chapter 2 of humility for us, he says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to death. Jesus submitted to death. Think think about that for a second. God is eternal. He's he's existed forever. That's part of what it means to be God. And yet Jesus was born and he came to this world. And he submitted even to death. Now before even Jesus came to the world, he had to submit to his father. Now understand, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, are, are, they're, they're, they're co-equal and co-eternal. And yet, Jesus submitted to the will of his Father and said, yes, I'll go. I'll, I'll leave the glory and splendor and I'll, I'll, I'll go to the earth. And, and I won't go just for a moment. And Jesus wasn't you know, born <clears throat> in a palace didn't reign as some kind of a, you know, earthly king. He was the king of kings and lord of lords, but, but that's not how he was perceived. He came to this earth, and he lived 
and he eventually, he died. That's another step toward humility. He surrendered his will. And so the question for us is, are, are we willing to surrender to God and to his will? Are we willing to submit to one another? You know, the Bible says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 5, and it's talking about the husband-wife relationship. But I think that can be applied more broadly. That within the body of Christ, we're to be a group of people that listen to one another and submit to one another. Are you willing to submit to those authorities in your life? Husbands and wives, do we submit to one another at work, at church, at authorities in our life? Or are you the kind of person who always have to be, has to be in control and in charge? Or are you, you the kind of person that says, no, if I don't, I've I got to have my way. Uh, nobody tells me what to do. Well, that, that's the spirit of pride. And yet Jesus submitted to his Father he submitted to death. We see humility pictured here. But there's one more mindset. And this next and final step, oh, it is a, it is a steep step. And quite honestly, I, I, don't, I don't like it. I don't want to take it. But Jesus was willing to take it for us. Paul tells us that Jesus became obedient to death. And then he says, even death on a cross. It's the mindset of suffering. He was willing to suffer. You know, there are some people out there who will tell you what it means to be a follower of Jesus is this. He's going to bless your life, and your life's going to be so good, and I believe God's going to bless my, your life, and, and your life's going to be good. But understand, some will say, you're going to have the best life now, and there's no more sickness or sorrow or disease or suffering. And I would say that is, that is not the message of Jesus. Now, that's going to happen when we get when we're resurrected and we spend eternity with him in, in, in heaven. Everything's set right there. But, but until that moment, there's going to be moments when we experience suffering. And there will be moments when people don't all say about you when you decide to follow Jesus, well, that's a wonderful, great thing. Now, still in this, Ameri in this country where we live, where, where most people have some, a lot of, you know, a version of Christianity, you might be looked on favorably because of your commitment to Jesus. You might, although that's becoming less and less in this culture as we become more and more post-Christian. But just this past week, I, Janet was telling me a story of, of someone who's connected to healing hands in India. A young woman who is trying to convert her family from being Hindus. And she literally gave her life for that commitment. She was, she was murdered. We hear stories like that in India and think, well, you know, that couldn't happen in America. Well, maybe not. I hope it never does. But there's this sense in which when you, Jesus says, here's what it means to follow me. I want you to take up a cross and follow me. What is a cross? A cross is an instrument of death. Here's what humility says. It says, I'm willing to suffer for you. I'm willing to give my life for others in service and in sacrifice. Why would anyone choose this mindset of Jesus? Think about the steps. They're all steps down. Why would anyone choose sacrifice and serving and submission and even suffering? This paragraph, it ends with a thud. Even death on a cross. Seems like defeat. Maybe we should just stop and linger right there for just a moment.
feels too hard. But then we come to verse 9. I love verse 9. Verse 9 says, Therefore, therefore, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. This, friends, is the paradox of humility. You see, humility leads to exaltation. Humility leads to vindication. Maybe, maybe not right away, but eventually. God is doing what, always, what God always do, does, and that is he lifts up the humble. Jesus, you see, couldn't go any lower. Death on a Roman cross couldn't go any lower. And then God lifted him to a place where he couldn't go any higher. Every tongue in heaven and on earth and under the earth would confess that, that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father some of you right now, you're going through a season of sacrifice, and I want you to know that God knows. If you're, if you're with Jesus, then here's the good news of this passage. If you're with Jesus, that which happened to Jesus will also happen to you. You see, you also, when you're walking with Jesus, he's going to raise you up at the last day. You're going to experience the exaltation at the last day. We're going to reign with him forever and ever. And so you're walking with him through death, or at least something that feels like death. Friends, you will also walk with him through vindication and through exaltation. Just as Jesus had tears, his tears were eventually turned to joy, and so will yours. Just as Jesus' defeat was turned to vindication, what you're experiencing right now that feels a lot like defeat will be turned to vindication. Just as brokenness turns to healing, the same, friends, will happen for you because God is not finished with your story I love what C.S. Lewis once wrote he said if you meet a truly humble person he will not be thinking about humility he will not be thinking about himself at all and there's freedom in that there's, there's freedom God you see he does this wonderful thing when we submit to him you see, when we're living our lives in sort of a carnal way, we're so self-focused and self-interested. It's all about me. It's all about what I need, what I want. It's all about that. But when we follow Jesus, suddenly we're freed because our eyes are not on ourselves. And, and I know this is, a, this is a struggle day to day. It really is. Suddenly we have this healthy sense of self-forgetfulness. We, in a sense, become a little more childlike. You know how our kids are. You know, they're at that age, you know, early on where not, they don't think about how they look or whatever people think, you know. So they get up in the morning and their hair, you know, it's sticking in 40 different directions. And they're not staring in the mirror going, oh my, look at my hair. What am I, Lord, what, what are the people going to think about that? They don't do that. And then, then they become teenagers, right? And then, then suddenly there's all this focus on them. And, and if we're not careful, we never move past that moment in our life to where we can get free free just to love others free to serve others free to bless others and when we follow Jesus and we develop his mindset and we take the step down 
and service and sacrifice, even suffering. We take those steps down. We're, we're freed up to love others. And God, friends, God is going to raise us up. God's going to lift us up. 